Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everyone. Tom Salemi here. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. We're coming up on OIS at Seco. It's happening next month on February 21st in New Orleans. So I wanted to uh, bring back an interview I did last year. It was one of our more popular podcasts. I spoke with the uh, dry eye coach, uh, Dr. Whitney Hauser of Signal Ophthalmic Consulting. And uh, we talked uh, a bit about dry eye since that is her area of expertise, but uh, she's also a master of social media, has a podcast of her own. And uh, we covered what things like social media can, can mean for practice. So I think it was a very, uh, a very practical conversation and uh, one I enjoyed and uh, one you obviously enjoyed as well, given the number of people listening. So we're bringing it back and we're also uh, pleased to announce that Dr. Hauser will be on our dry eye panel at OIS at Seco. She'll be on one of the uh, earlier panels. Go to OIS.net to uh, to check it out. The agenda is up there for OIS at Seco. You can uh, see the program and of course uh, register. We'd love to see you there in New Orleans. Now let's get into this conversation with Dr. Whitney Hauser, the dry eye coach. Well, Whitney Hauser, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. And uh, we're going to get into your uh, your very interesting online platform, Dry Eye Coach. It's, uh, it's certainly got a lot of excellent information up there, and I want to hear more about how it's structured. But I always like to open up these podcasts, just finding out a bit more about our guests and having them share their stories with our listeners. The very basic question is, is what led you to uh, optometry? How did this uh, career path lead you to where you are today? Well... It's uh, it was a kind of a meandering course, a circuitous <laughs> route into into eye care. It's probably a lot of uh, eye care providers have also found themselves. My original major when I was an undergraduate was uh, broadcast journalism, oh, okay. and I really yeah I wanted to you know be the next Jane Pauley. And I, in fact, wrote a letter to Jane Pauley, and she actually responded on NBC stationery, and I still have it to this day. Oh, neat. So I, I, wanted to, I wanted to do that, but I realized, you know, the odds of me being Jane Pauley were fairly small. So I thought, I'm going to do something different. And um, over the course of my undergraduate career, you know, I had a family member who was an optometrist, and I saw his lifestyle, his engagement with his patients. And, you know, he was also very politically active and wound up being one of the AOA presidents uh, over the last several years. So he was a great role model for me. And I decided, you know, this sounds like a a great opportunity for what I want to accomplish. And so I went into optometry school, uh, graduated in 2001 and completed my residency in 2003. Wow. Did you have any um, inkling that or any interest in pursuing any kind of medical degree other than optometry or was that pretty much it? What were you, did you have an interest in in being a healthcare provider of some kind? Right. You know, it honestly went from zero to 60 with that. I really envisioned myself being something uh, in the political realm or in the, in a journalism sort of setting. And then this just sort of went a complete 180 and went a totally different direction. Uh, But the good thing is, is that not unlike what we're kind of doing right now and having a conversation for a podcast, you know, my my first calling still gets to be a part of my ultimate career. And I've really enjoyed that and enjoyed being able to do some broadcast opportunities and, and bring the message of, you know, dry eye and eye care to my colleagues through the same medium. 
Excellent. And it, you're right. The timing is perfect. And you came into optometry at a, an exciting time. How has it changed uh, since you've started practicing uh, compared then to now? You know, I practice in the state of Tennessee, and Tennessee has some pretty um, liberal laws when it comes to optometry. So we have in, injectables and uh, minor surgical procedures as it applies to the eye and adnexa. And it's been, it's you know, that honestly has really been around since about the time that I became an optometrist. So there's not been a huge, huge evolution there. Probably one of the more interesting evolutions that I personally have been able to experience is, uh, you know, we do intense pulse light for dry eye in the state of Tennessee and optometry and many other states as well. But we were among the first to do that. And it was a great opportunity to sort of not really push the the limits of what we do in optometry, but just really push the limits of what we're bringing to eye care for our patients. And I found that to be a, a fairly unique opportunity that I got to take take part in. That's terrific. Do you see uh, other states being more liberal with their uh, with what optometrists are able to do, what sort of services they're able to provide? Is it is it is the pendulum swinging that way? Uh, it's it's really case by case or state by state. And, you know, there's a large unmet need in eye care and the unmet need, you know, can't all be met by ophthalmology. And I think that we see that ophthalmology waiting rooms are packed with patients and and to be able to distribute that need more evenly. Sometimes we do need to rely on optometry to just sort of share that burden with our colleagues in ophthalmology. When we consider some states, some states have, you know, greater rural populations and there's just not an ophthalmologist in the area. And the optometrist is really not only the primary eye care provider, but more or less the secondary tertiary advanced eye care provider as well. Mm -hmm. So having the opportunity to offer advanced treatments, you know, within that state can offer a benefit to the patient and eliminate some of the burden from ophthalmology of seeing things that perhaps are non-surgical. So I think there's there's certainly room for for both, and there's plenty of patience for both professions. What sort of opportunities do you have uh, as uh, as an optometrist to work in the the startup field to work with some of those new technologies that are that are coming together that are being created by by startups? I know you work with a number of companies. Uh, how did you become involved with that, and how easy is it to to find opportunities to work with uh, innovative ventures? Uh, that's a that's a great question, and one I hear a fair amount. You know, how do you how do you get these opportunities to work with different companies that are trying to bring new technology? And you know, that's a it's a hard one to field though, because I feel like you know, having had um, a, a background that has been sort of out in front, having an opportunity to write for different journals and things like that, I think the the companies sort of recognize. Um, who who is interested in innovation and they tend to seek those people out. I think it's hard to work that the other direction. I think it's hard for, you know, a doctor to seek the innovators. I think the innovators seek the doctors. Um, and, you know, I've had a lot of unique opportunities to get my hands on technology in advance of its release or as they're exploring um trials and I I really love it. Some are some are grand slams and some are singles and doubles, but it's great to be a part of that evolution and watch that piece of technology kind of grow legs and and be able to come into the marketplace. And you know, how you do it's a tough tough thing. It's it's a little tricky, but you know, being a part of it is a is a really special opportunity. 
Are, are you seeing more and more opportunities as we see more and more dry eye um, approaches being developed by startups? You know, years ago and, and when I came into practice, which is getting close, to, I'm embarrassed to say, about 20 years ago, we just had so little to work with in terms of dry eye disease. And that really turned, you know, within the last five to seven years, we see more and more coming available. And, you know, in terms of startups, I tell you, you know, there is a lot of enthusiasm. You know, we've seen this raise in awareness in optometry and ophthalmology for the necessity for treating dry eye, why it helps with contact lens wear, why it helps with cataract surgery and with LASIK surgery. I think the doctors have a, a keen sense of why we need to do it, but wherever there's opportunity, there's entrepreneurship. And with entrepreneurship, we see startups saying, gosh, you know, I'm seeing an unmet need. I think I know something that can fill that need. And, you know, a lot of those companies are coming to, to me and to many other physicians and saying, you know, let take a look at this. What do you think? And uh, I think we're going to see just an explosion, frankly, in the dry market over the next year or so. That's exciting. Well, in another area where we are seeing uh, seeing advancement is, and you mentioned this earlier on, is is social media, is the ability for physicians to reach out directly to patients in their communities. How did you come to? Uh, well, first, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing in that in that space. We mentioned at the top, Dry Eye Coach, which is a it, basically an online platform. But tell us a bit about what services you're able to provide through DryEyeCoach.com. Sure, Dry Eye Coach is an informational hub for practitioners. It's a peer-to-peer education site where we have key opinion leaders in both optometry and ophthalmology who sort of discuss. Uh, clinical uses of diagnostic and therapeutic equipment. We talk about, you know, um, how we talk to patients. We talk about how to be more efficient in your office. There's just, you know, a plethora of different things that are discussed on the platform. We do it in very digestible little pieces as well. You know, no one has time to sit down and read a long article anymore. You really just want to take that information um, grab it quickly and go make it clinically applicable. And that's what we try to do either through short videos. We also have podcasts on iTunes and that's the, that's really what the platform is about. Now, you know, when we first created the platform, I thought, you know, I've got to pull people in to see, uh, see what we have. Otherwise, you know, if you can have a great product, but no one knows you're there. And really, social media is a, is a great way to bring people either into your practice or, as I'm doing it, into my website so that there's a, a heightened level of awareness of what, what you can offer. And, uh, you know, we, have, we, we engage all the different social media platforms, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know, we try to keep it really fresh. We try to give information that's uh, relevant, but we also try to keep it engageable by having some things that are a little bit lighter fare sometimes, you know, photos from a meeting or, you know, maybe a quote, because if you are constantly uh, either selling people something or giving just scientific data, there's a likelihood that they'll tune you out. It's got to be a diverse sort of um, menu, if you will, of things that you're offering on social media. But but with dryeyecoach.com being peer-to-peer, are you trying to appeal? Is it doctor-to-doctor, physician-to-physician, or are you hoping to, are you drawing patients in through that site as well? Well, you know, it's the original 
you know, concept was definitely peer-to-peer and still remains that. But we do find that patients find themselves, you know, on the site. We have great analytics that follow who's there. And certainly it doesn't say label someone as a patient. But with the traffic that we have, it would probably exceed that of what we would consider an eye care provider, eye care provider staff. So we certainly feel like patients are finding us there. Uh, and getting information. What's kind of interesting, Tom, is that, you know, I treat, you know, primary care patients, I treat glaucoma patients and and so forth. The dry eye patients tend to be among the most well-educated and self-educated on their condition among all others. You know, a lot of times we're kind of pleading with our glaucoma patients, please take your condition more seriously. Please, you know, get as, as concerned as I am for you, for yourself. And a lot of times the glaucoma patients, because it's an insidious disease, they don't feel it. They don't see it typically until it's to a point where it's almost too late. Dry patients, on the other hand, have high levels of symptomatology. And because of that, they're online saying, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? You know, and a lot of times they'll go see their doctor, either optometry or ophthalmology. And when they're only offered an artificial tear, they think, gosh, is that really all that's wrong with me? And I think they sort of dig a little deeper than a lot of uh, a lot of other patients do that's interesting that's an interesting point and you're right it, it is a it's a disease that i think it really impacts more people than they even realize folks just think they have dry eyes with with lowercase d and lowercase e and they don't realize that it's actually right. a, con- a condition right. and uh that's perfect the, the case does matter it I does mean, you hit a nail on the head there <laughs> yeah well, and unfortunately, it's called dry eye disease. You know, if we had given it a far more impactful, maybe intimidating name, you know, <laughs> right. it might have it might have resonated more with both doctors and patients years ago. But you know, a lot of patients just think I'm tired, or you know, that's what a computer does, or what my contacts do, and it's probably pretty far from the case in a lot of instances. And do you have uh, trouble having other physicians take part in, in the site to do the videos or be on the podcast or are they receptive? Yeah, that to is, you know, to date, um, I've never had anyone say no. Uh, I've asked my colleagues in both optometry and ophthalmology. I've asked, you know, um, leaders in research, you know, we have a new series of our podcast coming out uh, next week called the Inventor Series. And we'll we'll be interviewing uh, Dr. Sheffer Singh from Tissue Tech and Dr. Donald Korb from uh, Tear Science. And you know, we've I've never had anyone say no. I think people want to share their story and they want to help their colleagues. And I value their time and their treasure uh, and their talents that they offer me every single time. It's always an honor to have uh, all of these doctors participate in in the site. And generally, generally, how um, familiar are they with the format? Do they know what they're sort of getting into, or do you find yourself having <laughs> what, what to explain? <laughs> well, I find what, what <laughs> I do. find with this podcast that I need to explain. Like this is going to take about thirty minutes. It's really just a phone call. Right. It's just a conversation. Yeah, uh, we're uh, just talking. Yep. Yeah, you know, it's now that we have say several podcasts, we give them an opportunity to listen to them. And and exactly as you said, in terms of podcasts, I say we're just talking and just going to have a conversation and you give me your perspective and your perspective. You know, a lot of times it's funny, no matter how well-written, well-established, whatever type of research they've done, a lot of times doctors are still like, you know, people really want to know what I think, you know, and, <laughs> and, and our colleagues do, you know, our colleagues want to know what you think. And it's, 
it's perspective. You know, it's not an edict from on high. It's let's hear what you have to say. And then you take, you know, take with it, take from it what you will and, and apply it as needed in your practice. And uh, similarly with the videos, you know, the video, video can, can definitely take it up a notch. You know, audio is one thing, uh, video is another, all of a sudden it's, how do I look? And people get very conscious, but all my, all the people that have contributed have done such a beautiful job, every single one of them. And I guarantee you almost all of them are probably in one take, you know, you just get up and get comfortable and say, say what you think. And it comes very naturally. And I hope that's what comes across in, in all of our videos. I, I find I find the same thing. Once I get my questions out in an intelligent way, the the rest takes care of itself. The guest is uh, yeah. usually spot people, on. People people forget they forget <laughs> about the audio, they forget about the video, and they just you know do their thing. So, do you recommend that uh, that physicians build this sort of strategy into their practice? Should they be doing their own podcast or or at least be out on Twitter and, and doing more on social media? I think that the first thing, and this applies, this is just a universal life rule. I think the first thing you have to do is have a plan and be consistent. And whatever you want to do, do that. And similarly, in terms of life rules, don't spread yourself too thin. You know, a lot of times there's so many different platforms that are out there. You know, like you mentioned, Twitter, there's Facebook, there's Instagram, uh, and, and beyond. You've got to figure out where you want to start and kind of spread out from there. If you say, okay, we're going to open accounts for all of these things and we're going to do all these things starting on Monday, the odds of success diminish. Mm -hmm. You know, what a lot of times uh, physicians do in particular is you have a, a staff that's allotted and you take a staff member and you think, well, I'm going to fill you know, so-and-so's time with doing some of our social media. Well, if that individual gets busy or is no longer with the practice anymore, social media fades away. And then thus your consistency is affected. So, you know, it's really about finding a, a staff member who can do this for you or hiring an outside firm uh, to take care of it. And then getting a plan in place about how you're going to effectively engage. Because what I see a lot of times, particularly with private practices, is they want to just sell. They want to sell a, a sale or a discount on LASIK. They want to have a discount on frames or contacts or whatever it is, a trunk show that they're offering. And they don't, it's, that's not really about engagement. You know, you can have those things peppered in, but you have to be a reason to look, something that's entertaining. Uh, and certainly some practices do that better than others. Mm -hmm. Once you've established yourself on one platform, you can kind of branch out from there. But determining what's going to help your individual region and area, local level, is is important. So Twitter's great, but Twitter is worldwide. Uh, and you can get a lot of followers. You can buy followers. But that's not a value to a practice. Uh, you know, one of our fastest growing uh, outlets that we have on Dry Coach is Instagram. Instagram is highly engaging. You know, you have live stories that you can do that come and go. Uh, people like pictures. Pictures are fast. You're never really selling anything, but there's a level of engagement on Instagram. Uh, and it can be clinically relevant. So doctors can engage each other. Um, and I found that to be one of the more compelling ones. And, you know, Facebook's always there. I'm a little bit cautious about 
selling too many things on Facebook uh, because I think a lot of people try to use Facebook as a, an escape, an entertainment source versus something that you get too much sort of sponsored content through. Um, but yeah, Facebook is still a, a viable option as well. But at this point, if I were going to be a practice, I would really, really work Instagram pretty hard right now. Do you, if, if I were a, uh, a reluctant physician and I was asking why, why should I do this? Uh, what are, what are the benefits? Do you think people or physicians right. see an uptick in practice uh, in, in business as a result of this? Right. Or is it more just building a brand? And- I, th- I, I think that, I think there's a, I think you've hit both the nails on the head. I think you can see an uptick in business, but it's not going to be, you know, it's going to be incremental uptick. But the thing about it is, just like, you know, when my mom might say to me, well, why do I need to learn to use that computer? Well, you don't have to, but ultimately you're left behind. And, you know, if you want to stay current, you have to get on board and you can reluctantly get on board. Uh, but you can delegate that as, you know, practice administrator, as the, the you know, partners in the practice. It's not something you have to necessarily engage in, but it's something that if you don't engage in social media, your practice will be left behind because if you look at your local competitors, odds are many of them are at least trying to do it. doesn't mean they're doing it well. It doesn't mean they're doing it right, but they're trying to do it. And you can a lot of times take what people are doing locally and say, okay, here's what I wouldn't do that they're doing. And then kind of, you know, raise your game just by evaluating your local competition. But I think there's a necessity in doing this and, and you can push it aside as much as you want to. But again, I think that ends up being a limiting factor in your practice. I think that's a great point. And I think you're right. Number one, it has to be done well. If it's not done well, then it doesn't uh, reflect well on you or your practice. But if you do do it well, uh, for some reason, I think it, it speaks to a level of sophistication, I think, of a, of a practice or expertise, and I'm not quite sure why, but it does if you see someone who has an updated, uh, updated social media presence. I think you raise an ideal point, frankly. I think it's about, it's about attention to detail, you know, and that's where the sophistication comes because it's not, you know, it's that I am being consistent and detail oriented. And if you're going to have surgery from someone, you want a practice that has a keen eye for detail, Yes. <laughs> and in fact, you know, and measure twice, cut once. Right? Yes, exactly. And this is, this is about saying we offer consistent care, you know, because we do this and there, there is a translation there. There really is. Excellent. Well, and just finally switching back to, uh, to the, the clinic and treating patients. What we talked a bit earlier about some of the technology that's coming down the pike for dry eye patients specifically, but in some other areas as well. What do you see coming up in the in the near future for for patient care? What has you excited for patient care and also maybe on the uh, on the social media front? I don't know if you're engaging in virtual reality or something else, but there might be some wow, neat opportunities there as well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> maybe I'm reaching, but yeah, what the heck. Yeah. You you jumped you jumped my level of sophistication by about uh, three levels there. I'm faking so, it. I'm totally faking. You know, there there's so much that's coming available, and uh, we see a lot of new drugs down the pipeline uh, that should be hopefully coming either through their clinical trials or coming to market um, maybe by summer or fall in terms of dry care. Uh, some are more of a chronic uh, nature. Some are more of an acute nature, and I think. That's exciting, uh, certainly. And then in terms of technology, you know, 
it, it's honestly, it's just really everywhere. We're seeing uh, new equipment. It'll be in-office treatment, at-home treatments. And perhaps, you know, one might say, well, that's a flood of, of things into the market. How do you pick? I think it's great to have that problem where you're saying, gosh, there's so many choices. Which one do I choose? It's like a kid in a candy store. And I think, I think that also raises the new products level of their game too. You know, they have to come in and, and really present to you good clinical data that's sound and a good price point for the patient that is reasonable and doesn't provide a barrier to access. And I think those are the things that we're going to see. Um, I think there's just an untold opportunity in terms of dry care in the next year or two. Exciting. Great. Anything else uh, that folks need to know about uh, yourself or, or dryacoach.com? Uh, you know, we'd love for you to come on Dry Coach and just take a look. Our podcasts are uh, on iTunes and Dry Coach is free to subscribe. We do not inundate you with unnecessary emails, but do bring you the latest information for upcoming meetings where the dry courses are available at both optometry and ophthalmology meetings, as well as new uh, information and new studies as they become available. So we encourage you to subscribe, but again, it is free to subscribe and we're not like banana republic or j crew so <laughs> we, won't, we won't clutter your inbox <laughs> that's, a, that's a great policy whitney hauser thank you for joining us yep. on the podcast thank you tom all right well that is a wrap thanks so much for joining us on this ois podcast i hope you enjoyed this replay with dr whitney hauser and i hope you'll join us at ois at seco please go to ois.net you'll find information about all of our OIS programs, but uh, the one coming up next month on February 21st in New Orleans is OIS at SECO. Dr. Hauser will be there. We'll be speaking with some other panelists in uh, future podcasts. It's going to be a great day and you should attend. So tune in next week for another uh, great tale of eye care innovation. And of course, join us at OIS at SECO on February 21st.